Hi, welcome to the second in our series, The Three Fundamentals. Uh, in the first episode, we looked at the church and baptism, and we talked about the role, the uh, role of synergy, if you like, between a church and pays and how we connect. And we're looking at fundamentals, things that should be fundamental to all Christians, but for some reason are not as fundamental as they used to be. And today we're looking at a different subject. We're looking at the Bible and we're looking at study. So first of all, let's uh, read from Timothy. We're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. There are three main reasons that it's really important that we don't give up on the Bible, that we don't just simply read the Bible occasionally, but that we actually practice studying the Bible. And I'm going to use the metaphor of food. The first one is it feeds us. Uh, I've been married now to the Foxy Lynn for almost 30 years and there are certain meals that she cooks that have just been fantastic. Uh, my wife is very, very pretty and the only thing that comes near to how beautiful she is is how beautifully she cooks. And uh, I can remember certain meals that she made me. I, rem I remember the first time she made me steak in Guinness. It was fantastic. I remember the first time she decided to make her own sausage rolls and Cornish pasties. But in those 30 years, 99.9% .9 of the meals she made me, I can't remember. They don't jump out. They're not memorable. Um, but if I only ate the meals that were special, if I only ate the meals that were particularly um, remarkable, I'd be dead now. I wouldn't be alive. And that's the same with the Bible. What happens sometimes is we, we just pick out those little choice scriptures or stories that we like from time to time. Or even we just don't even do that and we just go to church and we, we're looking for those kind of highlights, those kind of messages that really get us going. And we don't realise that the basic rudimental thing about Bible study is it feeds us, even the boring bits. They feed us, they give us context and they give us insight. So the Bible feeds us, which is incredibly important. The second reason that we need to consistently get into the Bible and study it is this. The Bible helps us feed others. Now, many years ago, when I first became a Christian, just before I was 14, because um, there were very few Christians in my school, uh, word got around. Uh, in fact, in my class of 35 boys my age, um, there were two Christians, sorry, it was just one Christian and two other young people who believed in anything supernatural at the time. Now, most of the teachers knew, and there was one teacher who gave me the title Christian, and whenever he talked to me, he never used my first name or my second name, he would just shout, Oi, Christian, come and get this, go and get that, do this for me. And every so often in my class, what would happen is that the students realised that to get out of biology, they would just get this teacher to start preaching at me about the reasons the Bible was wrong and the reason that Christianity was wrong. And, and I would share my faith with him. And one particular day, uh, I said to him, you know, you know, the Bible does say that Jesus is the only way to God. And I quoted uh, that Bible verse. And, and the teacher stopped and looked at me and said, no, it doesn't. 
I said, yes, it does. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way to God, only way to the Father. And he looked at me and said, I don't believe it is, but if you can show it me, I'll believe it and I'll believe you. I couldn't believe that the whole class just went, oh. there was a sharp intake of breath. And I picked out my Bible from my bag and I started to look for the passage of scripture. And I couldn't find it. I just couldn't remember where it was. And pretty quickly, the moment just passed. He laughed, said, I told you. The rest of the class just kind of laughed at me. And I never got that opportunity ever again. I'll always remember that moment. I'm not very good at memory versus I have a problem with, the, I'm slightly dyslexic and it affects the way I remember things. Um, and I remember in that moment, he needed more than just my thoughts or my opinions. He needed to know what I knew. I needed to feed him actual scripture. It's important that we know scripture, not just for ourselves, but for those that we need to feed. I've shown this next video a, a couple of times. I think I've shown it um, in a different Livewire series. Uh, the gentleman in this video, if you don't recognize him, is a world famous, perhaps one of the most famous uh, magicians in the world. And he's telling a little story of what happened to him after they did a show. Just take a look at this and see what it makes you think of. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has, uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and... Uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you." And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm... I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. 
but he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I find that a fascinating um, video because here's a man who asked the question, how much must you hate somebody to not be able to share the Bible with them? How much, how much must you hate somebody to not take that time to study and to know what you believe and to share it with others? I find that really challenging. Just carrying on using this metaphor of food and meals, the third main reason why we need to study the Bible and it needs to be fundamental to our faith is this. It protects us from poison. What do I mean by that? It protects us from poison. Well, the Royal Mints, uh, the people who print and create uh, money in Britain, uh, would say this, that if you want to uh, train people how to spot counterfeit money, you don't put them in a room with counterfeit money. You put them in a room and you literally get them to count the real thing. And they count it for hours and hours apparently, to such an extent that they know the real thing so well they can easily spot counterfeit. And the fact of the matter is, particularly in the world that we live, there are all sorts of worldly mindsets and thoughts and ideas. I don't simply mean, you know, God's dead or God's not real. I mean, the ways even that we would connect with God. There are so many different philosophies of the world that can come into Christianity. And unless we know the truth, we can't spot the counterfeit. It's really important that we do. How authoritative 
is the Bible to you? If there's a trend, if there's something fashionable, what takes precedent in your life? The thing that's fashionable or the thing to know, you know is true and you really deeply believe in it. Let me just show you the, the Pays um, statement of faith about the Bible. We have a, a faith statement concerning many different things. Here's what it says about the Bible. The divine inspiration and supreme authority of the Old and New Testament scripture, which are the written word of God, fully trustworthy for faith and conduct. How convinced are you of that truth? Do you ever wonder why you're not more radical? You know, when you think, well, I believe in heaven and hell and I believe in the word of God, I believe in judgments, and yet my life doesn't really reflect that. Can I suggest that maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons is the Bible doesn't have the same authority in your life as you think it does. And when my sons, I have two sons, and, and when they were a lot younger, my dad taught me something very simple. He said, the key to discipline is consistency. If, you, um, if your children know that if they disobey you, there will always be some kind of punishment, then eventually, quite quickly, you'll be able to discipline them. So when my boys were very, very little, I used to have this thing where I would um, count down, five, four, three, two, one, getting deeper as, as I went along and more stern. It was extremely rare. I can think of one occasion in their childhood that by the time I got to one, they hadn't stopped doing the thing I wanted them to stop doing or hadn't started doing the thing I'd asked them to do. Now, my wife would say that it sometimes worked for her and sometimes didn't. And the difference was that there was no time ever that I counted down from five, four, three, two, one. And if the boys disobeyed me, I kind of let them off. All right? There was no kind of punishment. There was a consistency. And I think there's an element of that principle to remember with the Bible. If we don't believe there's a consistency with God, if we believe that God kind of moves with the ebb and flow of fashion, then I think that we begin to ignore the truth that God says. We begin to lack the conviction. In fact, sometimes I wonder if we're really motivated more out of not wanting to be wrong than being absolutely convinced of the truth of the Bible. I think if we really had the authority of the Bible in our hearts, we would act somewhat differently. Okay, with that in mind, let's look at our first workshop. Please read the mini chapter dim from the book Havarim. Then discuss the question, why are so many postmodern churches producing pre-Reformation Christians? I'm going to read, for those who are listening to this on the podcast, I'm going to read that passage out to you. But I'd like you to look at those two questions. Here's what the book section says. Why are so many postmodern churches producing pre-Reformation Christians. Before the Reformation, when the only organized and recognized church was the Catholic Church of Rome, it refused to allow scripture to be available in any language other than Latin. The people of God had to completely rely on those few religious professionals who could pass on the Bible's message. They could not unravel it for themselves. No one could question an interpretation because few people other than the priests, could read it. For the most part, in today's evangelical churches, the Bible may as well be written only in Latin once again. Few study it, 
even less pass it on. We get all our interpretation from the leaders we idolise. We are more likely to know the words of Max, Bill, Rick and Francis than we are to know the words of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We may not live in the dark ages anymore, but when it comes to understanding the word of God, we live in the days of willing ignorance, the era of acceptable limitations. We live in the dim ages. Okay, please take time to look at the scripture. Sorry, look at that passage. I think it's scripture because I wrote it. Uh, look at the passage and ask those two questions. And then we'll come back and we'll look about what is the Bible really. So let's look at what. Um, what is the Bible? Let's get rid of a couple of myths about, for instance, where the Bible came from. So um, it did not magically appear in an instance. I'm sure we all know that. You know, somebody very spiritual wasn't walking along and suddenly it was handing down from heaven. Uh, we'll look at some facts about where the Bible came from. So let's go through these. You may know them, but I think it's good to be refreshed and reminded about these things. So the Bible actually contains 66 different books. It was written by around 40 different people. Over a period of 1600 years, dating back from 1500 BC to about 100 years after Christ. Something like 40 generations separate the first and last author. The 40 authors came from many different walks of life. There were kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars. It was written in different places, the wilderness, dungeons, palaces. It was written at different times, times of war and times of peace. It was written in different moods, the heights of joy, and the depths of despair. It was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. The problem is that as the church grew after the death and resurrection of Jesus, heresies immediately started to flood in. So the church needed a way of collecting the um, scripture, the books of the Bible, particularly for the New Testament, that were inspired by God. How would they collect them together? How would they know what to sift out? What was from God and what was just human writing? So they came up with the canon. Uh, the canon is a classical Greek uh, word that kind of signifies a straight rod or a carpenter's rule. So the canon was a way of distinguishing what should be in the Bible and what should be left out. And before I tell you what 
uh, different rules were applied, what were the principles, what were, what were the books measured by. Let me just mention a couple of the, the different canons, if you like. The first was the Muratorian canon, which was compiled in AD 170. It included the New Testament books except Hebrews, James and 3 John. And then the Council of Laodicea created, if you like, a canon in 363 when they concluded that the only, uh, sorry, only the Old Testament along with the Apocrypha and the 27 books of the New Testament were to be read in the church. But the councils of Hippo in AD 393 and Carthage in AD 397 reaffirmed the same 27 books as authoritative. So there were some major times in church history when lots of scholars applied certain rules or the canon to check what should be in the Bible and what should not be in the Bible. Let me give you those four or the four main principles that were applied. The first is kind of apostolic connection. So the author of the book had to be an apostle or have a close connection with the apostles. Now, you'll be surprised how many um, historical documents were written a very, very long time after the incident happened in history. But what's amazing about, particularly in the New Testament, is so much of the New Testament was written very, very close to the time when it actually happened, which, um, which scholars would say gives it much more credibility, far more credibility. The second thing, the second principle was this, church acceptance. The books must have been accepted by the body of Christ at large. So the whole body of Christ had to say, yes, these books. There were no kind of special interest books. The minority said, oh, please put it in. The entire church had to recognise that this was God-breathed. The third principle was doctrinal consistency. That the books had to con contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching. That the, the books of the Bible couldn't have errors in. They needed to show that the Holy Spirit had kind of led the author to correct doctrine. And the fourth one connected with that could be called the Spirit's confirmation. Though the books were in line with the work and the morality and the spirituality of the Holy Spirit. So there were some pretty tough rules given to the books that are in the Bible. And there are other books that were written around that time, and sometimes I'll quote from them if we think the factual information is correct, but only the books of the Old Testament and New Testament would be authoritative to us as God's word. Of course, a lot later, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, um, not just in the last century, really. One of the amazing thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls um, was that when they came across them, these hundreds and hundreds of scrolls that were parts of the Old Testament were discovered and there was virtually no um, errors, no differences between the original scriptures that were used for the Old Testament. And what was happening was hundreds of years later, there was a, a reconfirmation of the um, integrity, if you like, of the scripture of the Bible. The Bible is an incredible book because when you compare it to all scholarly exams, it has such incredible um, integrity, character, consistency, and authority. It's an amazing thing, the Bible. 
But let's do this. Let's have a, a more challenging workshop now. First, I'd like you to individually take a look at the biblical events listed on the worksheet. Then without researching them, place these events in chronological order on the timeline provided. Secondly, compare your timeline with others in your group. Thirdly, if you have time, research if you got your timeline correct. So basically, I want you to look at this list of events, it's all jumbled up, and I want you to look at the timeline and think, okay, this event should go here and this event should go there. What I'm trying to help you understand is how much of the context of the Bible do you really understand? You may know little um, you know, choice morsels that you remember, little stories, but do you really understand the context of the Bible? Do you really understand what happened generally when? It's so important for Bible study to understand context. So have a go at that, share your ideas, and then if you have time, um, quickly look at, there's a couple of places we've put on the workshop, uh, worksheet I should say, that you can look at to double check your facts. Who got it right, who got it wrong, how close were you, how far off were you. Just remember the second stage of learning is finding out what you don't know. So you may be sad when you look at this thing, oh my goodness, I got so much wrong. Don't worry about it, you're a step further than you were before. Okay, please take some time to do this. I think it's an important challenge and then we'll come back and we'll look at how we teach and study the Bible. So we've looked at the why about Bible study, uh, it's fundamental. We, we looked at what, just basically where the Bible came from, uh, how it was put together. I think that's important for us to understand, for us to understand where our authority comes from. Um, you know, sometimes we get into uh, discussions with people who don't believe in the Bible and I've seen Christians fall apart because they literally didn't know how the Bible had been put together and they just looked confused. We need to know if we're gonna be fed and if we're gonna feed others, and if we're gonna protect ourselves from heresy, we need to understand what the Bible is and where it came from. But let's look at this third section now, which is how. How should we teach, how should we train ourselves in the Bible? Well, let's read from Hebrews, a passage that I find particularly challenging and I think is very important for today's Christian generation, at least in the Western world. Hebrews says this, In fact, lo, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not equated with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There are so many things in that uh, couple of verses that are important to us. But one of the highlights for me that I want to bring out is that by now we should be teachers. 
And in the modern Christian world that we live in, there are so few teachers and so many of us are still living on milk. And really, we're just being encouraged to read the Bible and then go and listen to a preacher unpack it. In actual fact, although those two things are good, we need to study the Bible. So the Bible's a bit like an orange. Reading the Bible is about taking an orange and then just licking that orange. You get a sense of flavour, but that's all you get. Just a little bit of flavour, it comes and then it's gone. Studying the Bible means peeling the skin off the orange and actually consuming it. At that point, and only at that point, it begins to feed us. Study, not simply reading the Bible, is what we need to do. So on Pays, I've said that this series, the fundamentals, the three fundamentals, we're talking about the fundamental things that need to be in Christianity, but there's always with Pays a little angle on this. And our angle is that what we're trying to do is train people to teach, not simply get them in church where we can just tell them what the Bible says. We want to empower people. And so uh, we produced something called HD, which is based around the book I wrote called Havarim. And in the documentary about Pays, The Spirit of the Pioneer, there is a section I would like to play for you. It's just a three or four, five minutes long, and it gives an overview about our philosophy for the Bible. And even if you've seen this a couple of times, and even if you're currently doing HD, I want you to listen to what is being said and see as you listen to it, if there's anything you've missed out on the philosophy of Havarim so far. For those of you who've not uh, seen this before, hopefully this will be an inspiration to you. So um, the study distinctive uh, relates to this idea of moving beyond curriculum to culture. And the, the idea being that we're not, we're not just trying to uh, set out some kind of curriculum to work through. Yeah but that we want the understanding of scripture to become something which impacts them so much and becomes part of who they are yeah. that they are able to go out into their communities and impact that community, impact that culture and start teaching in that culture themselves. So one of the problems we had is that we realized we wanted to get students, young people to share their faith and to be able to respond to questions they were being asked to have that sense of confidence to be able to share what they believed. Problem is, I think most Bible studies that we do in church don't, don't help that. They don't, um, they don't offer that opportunity because they're curriculum based. Uh, it's a pre-programmed Bible study and you essentially just fill in the gaps. Right, I went to school for four years studying how to be a teacher. And I feel within the first year, the first three weeks of being on Pays, I learned even more than I did in those four years. So what we created, why I worked on was an idea where it wasn't so much what to teach, but how to teach the Bible. Um, a tool we could give people where they could share scripture and help their friends study God's heart on any subject that came up. For me specifically, I, it, I feel very difficult to do that. But it was a passion, all right. It, yeah. It's there, but I felt very difficult to go to, to someone. I didn't really know what to go and teach the person. I think, oh, these people, they can read the Bible on their own, and what am I going to teach them? Yeah. But being introduced to Pace and learning so much from Pace, that is the kingdom principles, six kingdom principles that I've learned. It has given me boldness to go close to people and 
minister that to them. And we get to just open the word with them and show them in a, in a meaningful way that they can relate to what these passages mean because a lot of times they're reading the Bible and it's just it's all Greek to them even if it's written in Hebrew right um, it's all it's stuff that they can't they can't really relate to So we show them the breakdown of there's this level of, of what the author was trying to say. Um, you can see how it connects to other passages in the Bible. You can see how it really speaks to you. And then you can really just stop and let the Holy Spirit open it up for you. Hi, my name is Martha. I'm from Namibia. This is my first year on Tayskana. I have this wonderful mentee. She even introduced Habram devotions to her family. And she had such a great testimony how they are doing Habram devotions in the morning and just praying before they go to bed. So I think how I'm helping her and how she is helping others. And she even started a Bible study group in a school, like in a classroom. The training in theology, the training in just how to study God's word. I I remember just taking it back to my house family or my family and just saying that you got to see this because it's it's something I've never experienced before. And Pace has provided us that platform that we don't only know what to say, but it teaches us how to say it and how to make an impact in the lives of the children. Okay, so hopefully that uh, video kind of inspired you. Um, the thing that we're hoping you will pick up from that is that when it comes to the Bible, what we're trying to do on pays, uh, kind of almost prophetically to some extent, is to say, hey, the original intention of the Bible was not simply to be just read for entertainment or to give us a pick-me-up every so often. It was meant to be studied. And the church is the place not simply to go and learn about the Bible, but to be trained in how to share it. So for instance, Pays helps youth ministries and churches. So we will consult with churches and help them set up youth ministries based on the Pays methodology. And um, this week I've been helping a church and they will start havering with their young people on a Sunday morning before the main service. So they will do havering, they will do HD in the church, but that's not the point of HD. The point of HD is to train young people to be able to go and share that with anyone outside. So when Havarim is done in church, it's done for the sole purpose of training people so they know it so well, they can then do it outside. So for instance, we have a, a lady on pays at the moment who's on one of our um, 
courses, pays, venture, which means she's practicing mission establishment study, but not in schools or in church primarily, in businesses. So we place apprentices in businesses and she's setting up a havarine in the business and for the, the building or the office block that that business is in. So she's already gone around the office block, she's put a little teaser campaign and she's inviting people to study, she's inviting people to ask questions, she's inviting them particularly into the third stage of Havering which is very kind of non-Christian friendly, very seeker friendly in one sense, but she's trying to pull people in. So on a, a week day morning for the week she gets trained, she does Havareem herself so she knows it really well inside and out but the purpose for that is that she would go outside of the church and lead people in Havareem and that's a key thing for us. That's what we believe we need to be doing, we need to know the Bible so well, not so much the individual stories or the individual passages but how to study the Bible, we need to know that so well that we can pass that on and feed others, that we can facilitate their journey help them when they have an issue, when they have a question, find answers in the Word of God because we know the four different ways that we're supposed to study Scripture. Okay, giving you lots hopefully to think about uh, today and we're going to finish with our last workshop. Um, hopefully this one will be challenging in less an analytical way and more of a heart way I think. Please watch the viral video of the followers of Jesus in China receiving Bibles for the first time and ask the following three questions. How do we get that passion back? How do we pass that passion on to others? And what is the next practical step for us to do this? One practical step might be literally just getting before God and saying, God, renew our passion for your word. But what other practical steps can we do to get back our passion and to pass our passion on? Take a look at the video, hopefully it will challenge you and then spend some time, your remaining time, discussing these questions. And next time in the third and final episode of The Three Fundamentals, we'll look at another subject which I think is absolutely vital to our Christian faith. Bless you and I'll speak to you next time.